Super Talk Mississippi media production. State Treasurer David McRae is returning record amounts of money to Mississippians, whether it's through the College and Career Savings Program or the millions in unclaimed money awaiting your claim. Treasurer David McRae says get your application and claims today. Treasury.ms.gov. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi and Mississippi, for that matter, such a great place to live, work, and play. Hope you had a great weekend or that and your Monday has started off on a positive note. Um, hey, listen, over the course of the last week or so, in light of the tornado that went to the Mississippi Delta, I've shared some lessons that I wrote after Hurricane Katrina. One of them was the name of the lesson was Serve Others Selflessly. And it's a, I think it's a powerful observation that so many of us made about how we as Mississippians come to the help of our neighbors uh, in difficult times. It's one of the reasons that Mississippi is so resilient. I decided to write a column that appears now at supertalk.fm. By the way, if you haven't signed up for that newsletter, I don't think anyone's doing a better job of covering the important news for the state than Supertalk Mississippi. And uh, I, I think you, you would be glad that you signed up for that for the newsletter and and had access to some incredible news. Great columns. We've got thought leaders from across the state who are contributing. And uh, and I would really encourage you to sign up. But this this column now appears there. And so let me read it to you. I think it's something you feel. I think we all feel this. And it, it also deals with the perceptions of Mississippi. And then we'll get to our guest, actually. It's going to be Clay Williams, who is the executive director for the uh, Gulfport Biloxi International Airport Authority. So we'll come to Clay here in just a second. We'll get Clay's thoughts about this as well. In the aftermath of the deadly and destructive tornadoes, that ripped across Mississippi, bringing catastrophic damage to many places, especially Rolling Forks. I'm, I'm struck by something that plays out in Mississippi time and time again after disasters. Mississippi is an incredible caring state. Such trials reveal our heart and souls. The essence of the Mississippi spirit is an unbelievably inspiring lesson about who we are and what we are to each other. When the socioeconomic and political boundaries that too often divide us are blown down, we see in our people a sleepless and inspiring pace to serve others. And it doesn't matter what your politics are. You are loved. What we see on the ground in our beloved Mississippi Delta is something that, uh, that we've observed consistently after disasters in Mississippi. It's something that the outside world, for whatever reasons, doesn't often note. It's the inspiring, selfless spirit of Mississippians and their dogged determination to lend a helping hand. In this moment, we witness in our fellow Mississippians, even those who have lost everything, turn away the help of others, pointing volunteers to their neighbors who they believe have bigger needs. Over the last week, we have seen local, state, and federal officials, political parties aside, all come together with volunteer, with the volunteer cavalry that that tragedy creates when drawn to ground zero. The volunteers represented nonprofits of all sorts with an array of services. City representatives from across the state brought emergency supplies, plus fire and police support. Church groups offered their prayers and their people. 
Farmers came with their heavy equipment. Utility companies provided power and water. Restaurants were armed with food. And simple citizens brought strong backs and loving hearts. I'll call them as President George H.W. Bush once christened them a thousand points of light. Each is a separate beacon of help and hope. The carried aftermath of those sudden winds becomes a compelling reminder of the Mississippi spirit and what is actually in the hearts of Mississippians. At times like this, the new Mississippi State song, One Mississippi by Steve Azar, should be played on loudspeakers across the United States. Amid the death, injuries, and terrible destruction, that ballad would be heard as as celebrating who Mississippians are to their core. We are one Mississippi. There is a prevailing false narrative about Mississippians that, that, that these narratives are often rooted in a sad and unforgettable history that the national news media, and sadly some media in the state, ignorantly want to repeat with seemingly daily regularity. They drive wedges and speak of us as not having changed, as if they really know and understand what is in our heart and souls. But the helpful responses of Mississippians after tragedies obliterate those narratives. Myopic journalists here and elsewhere should all pay, pay, put away their wedges and work harder to see and understand who we really are as a people. And while more can always be done, we have made incredible progress as Mississippians toward creating a value that embraces each other as neighbors. What we have seen in Mississippi should be a lesson to the world. When the going gets tough in Mississippi, this state gets small. We need each other. We are all human, and we will find ways to serve each other. It is long past time for others to take note that we are, in fact, one Mississippi. I, th- I hope that expresses what you're thinking and feeling as you watch sometimes the narratives that play out about Mississippi. And I, like I said, man, we can always improve. We can always improve. But, man, we have made incredible progress. And, um, and I will always believe that. And I will always, with a megaphone, scream as loud as I possibly can for people to note that the narrative has changed in Mississippi. Now let's move over to my friend Clay Williams, who's the executive director for the Gulfport Biloxi International Airport, who's had tremendous experiences in government and politics. Now he lands in this job and is doing a terrific job, and he's a good friend. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Ricky. It's always uh, always good to visit with you. Appreciate having the opportunity to to update your listeners. Well, listen, uh, you and I. You and I go way back. We had the opportunity to work together after Hurricane Katrina. You've had a, a number of important roles along the way. And actually, it might be helpful for our audience to be reminded a little bit of some of that journey that you took that led you into your current position so they can appreciate that you've had the opportunity to, to, to sort of evaluate from a bunch of different dimensions this, this issue around the narrative of Mississippi. Sure. I, I actually... Um had an opportunity when I graduated uh, college at Mississippi State to, to move to Washington, D.C., worked for um, both Senator Trent Lott and then also served for a brief time as executive um, le- legislative director, excuse me, for uh, Congressman Chip Pickering. I so happened to move back to the Mississippi Gulf Coast uh, in 2002 and was working for Senator Lott at the time. And uh, we all know what uh, occurred August 29th, 2005. I was in the role working with Senator Lott as his 
as his field representative and economic development coordinator at the time. And, and when Hurricane Katrina uh, hit, all, uh, all hands were on deck and shifted to disaster recovery. In, in, in reading your column and, and, and hearing you uh, recite it again, you really you look at what happens, particularly in Mississippi after a tragedy. I think we're a, we're a proud state. Uh, Mississippians have a lot of pride. They they uh, they they enjoy family and fellowship and, and helping one another. But you really see this when a uh, disaster occurs. And you know, had had the opportunity to see it firsthand, working with you, uh, working with other um, community leaders, statewide officials after Katrina, and trying to to see this region that we all love recover. And so I think when you look at what's occurred in the Mississippi Delta and Rolling Fork and you look over at uh, Amory, Mississippi and some of the other areas that have been hit, you see that united spirit. And it's it's um, Mississippi's a charitable state. I mean, we really are. You've got a lot of selfless individuals that are that are altruistic and they 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 believe in um supporting organizations, whether it be not-for-profit or faith-based organizations. And and um, we're seeing that now. Every time you turn on um, uh, the news here on the coast, you've got fire departments that are, that are um, gathering supplies to take. You've got restaurants that are donating uh, food products. And, and um, when, when you look at the, the national narrative, we all become a little disconcerted, I think, because of the wedge issues that you mentioned and, and some of the, the narrative and the things on which we're focused, which really oftentimes can be irrelevant. But you look at and what happens to someone when they've lost everything, their neighbor comes to them and helps. It's it's really tremendous. Yeah, I remember I remember so well. Uh, after Hurricane Katrina, you and I had the opportunity to work closely with Governor Barber, right. and he often told a story of uh, one of his trips to Hancock County, where uh, this woman uh, sort of said, "I don't, you know," and she she just essentially lost everything. She said, um, "You know, I don't, you know, don't don't bring that food to me or clothes or whatever it was they were bringing." You know, and then she gave directions. You know, if you go down, if you go down this dirt road and you take a left down at the end of this dirt road, then you you go down a little bit further. I'm paraphrasing the the story, but for but you can get the effect of what it what it what it said to him. Right. Uh, he she, she went on to say to him that you will find a woman down there that I really believe needs your help. Right. And um, and he, t- you know, when he told that story, tears came out of his eyes. I mean, t- Haley saw that time and time again. And um, and we, if I tell you what, we're at the end of the segment. When we come back on the other side, we'll sort of continue this conversation about the narrative. We're going to get the latest happening at the uh, airport. Well, we got the whole show with Clay today, and he's a wise dude that's been around, has a lot of observations as it relates to this. And I'm enjoying having the conversation. And we'll see you on the other side. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. 
His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Clay Williams, who's the executive director for the Gulfport Biloxi International Airport Authority. And uh, he's got tremendous experience working in both the I guess the private and public sector along his career, but the truth is that he he got some great experience about life <laughs> after Hurricane Katrina and what it takes to build a great community. And uh, we were talking about a column that I wrote called Mississippi's Uncommon Spirit, and I was uh, sharing this story that Haley Barber told about about this uh, this woman that said I didn't need the help. And during the break, actually, Clay remembers the story really well, and he remembered an aspect of it that, that I thought was kind of touching. But anyway, from your perspective, you heard the story many times. What what did you hear him say? I heard both Governor uh, Barber and, and Mrs. Barber tell the story on many occasions, and they talk about um, going and touring the devastated areas, and they, they visit with a woman that had lost literally everything didn't, you know, basically had the clothes that were on her back. She wasn't concerned for herself. She was concerned for a widow who lived down the street who needed something she felt more than than what she uh, than, than she did at the particular time. And so, again, it speaks to the spirit. It speaks to the united uh, nature of Mississippi. In the country, though, we've seen it. We've seen 9-11 was an example. You know, that was, that was a... Uh, uh, tremendous tragedy that we all pulled. We saw the country pull together. In Mississippi, Hurricane Katrina, we saw ourselves come together as a state. You're seeing it once again play out, Rolling Fork, Amory, other places that have that have been impacted by by the recent tornadoes. And so you talk about one Mississippi, that that spirit is there. And again, these are these are things that that matter. Oftentimes, I feel like uh, in the in the national news cycle, we get distracted with whatever whatever the hot button issue is of the day. But but helping helping others, you know, people supporting the various charities like we do in Mississippi, people working through faith groups. I remember after Katrina, Ricky, you had you had one group after another that they they would come back time and time again. This wasn't just this occurred in August of 2005 and they were here September and October. They were still coming two years later. You had people coming that were bringing building materials. They were bringing food supplies. I had an opportunity uh, in, in the role that I had at the particular time to work with a um, someone from the the Czech Republic embassy. They wanted to donate money and they chose the St. Vincent de Paul Community Pharmacy as the charity at that particular time. St. Vincent de Paul Pharmacy does great work here along the coast. They, they distribute medicines uh, and pharmaceuticals to people who can't afford them, don't have the necessary insurance to be able to pay. They wanted to contribute. I, I don't. It was a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars that they donated from that embassy. But there, there's so many untold examples like that that we saw, and it was really, um, it was, it was astonishing to see and to see how long that that it went on. And you hope that we'll, when, when the media covers us from a from a national perspective that there will be a little bit more focus on these items as opposed to others where they tend to, to, to wade into. You know, one of the things I know for sure, I've had the opportunity recently to, to look at some, some surveys, some political surveys that have been done. And what, what I noticed is something I said before. 
I've always believed this because that sort of describes where I am in my politics, but that most Americans are in the middle, whether whether you're they're leaning right or they're leaning left. If you start to really kind of zero in on the issues they disagree on, right. they don't disagree on a whole lot. You know, right. I mean, it's it's certainly not the polarizing world that the the ends of the continuum define for us, you know, and then social media algorithm, you know, juices it up and makes it even worse. And then you have these these polarizing political figures on either side that that make it seem that this is the conversation that we're all having, but it's not the conversation that we're all having. We're all somewhere right in the middle. But it, it which is sad actually, because the truth is that under any normal working day, you know, you don't need a tornado to help us understand that there are always going to be needs in the community. There are going to be gaps to fill. There are going to be people that need us to help them. You know, there's, they're going to, there are, yeah, I, I had this great conversation with Jay Willis, the, the, the mayor of uh, Pascagoula. And we talked about one, one of the, one of the, I say it on the show a lot about, you never know what someone's going through, but he, he was saying that he t- told his kids and his grandkids that, and something he learned as a dentist, a certain that he learned in his Christian life and his work as a dentist, but he, he, and he, and he understands this to his core, but he said, you know, always be kind and and be be aware that when you're communicating with someone, you never know what they're going through. And and you just don't know. And, of course, with social media, it's often the case that we are willing to say and do things we'd never say to someone if we were willing to look them in the eye. But when you push all that other stuff aside for a second and just look at sort of who we are as a people – um, it, it's gosh, it just drives me crazy when an issue comes up, Clay, and people want to want to play the race card or want to divide us based on race. And you know, I, I think political discussions often sort of, I, unfortunately, point to that, or they they certainly want the conversation in Mississippi to often too often be about that. But when you go to a place like Rolling Forks and you see what's happening in Rolling Forks, there's a great picture, in fact, that that accompanied. It's a, it's a picture from the Red Cross, where a a white, uh, I think it's a white woman and a and a black person were hugging. It, you know, color of skin doesn't matter anymore. Nothing. But we saw that after Hurricane Katrina, um, and I, you know, for whatever reason. The national media just doesn't want to let go of that. And I, I say some press because some press make too many political issues about race when we're trying to solve problems. And that unnecessarily clunks up the works so we can't seek to get the problem. And, uh, and it makes it makes everything a, a bigger challenge, doesn't it, my friend? It does. Relationships are so important. Leadership is, is so important. Look at look at Washington, D.C., and our, our political climate and how it's evolved over the last decade plus. There was a time when members of Congress, um, again, I had the good fortune of working there for a period, but when members of Congress, they lived in Washington, D.C. And so they lived there on a full-time basis. And when they were living there, they established a rapport and relationships with their fellow, fellow members of, of uh, Congress. It's, it's harder to disagree and to um, shoot at someone uh, politically when, when you've got a rapport and a relationship. Now, it seems as if, you know, the 
it's this constant campaign cycle. So people are traveling back and forth to their districts, to their states on a regular basis. They're not living there. They're living, they're living in multiple places and it's hard to, to forge those friendships. And so when you, when you look at bipartisanship and, and folks working across the aisle, this climate that we're in of not physically being present there all the time is detrimental to, to what we see. Now, going back to Hurricane Katrina, Ricky, as you well know, we were so very fortunate to have the people in the right positions at the right time. Governor Haley Barber did a phenomenal job with the with the recovery effort in Mississippi. He had been chairman of, of the RNC. He had been a prominent Washington lobbyist for a long time, you know, had relationships again in that city in, in Washington that helped us immensely during the time. Senator Trent Lott, Senator Thad Cochran, both there, Senator Lott in leadership for many, many years, Senator Cochran. Uh, chairman of the Appropriations Committee. Again, long-standing uh, relationships during a time when they were most needed. And but they they <laughs> built their careers there in that city, and it was it was important. Hey, you know, Clay, let, let me t- let me give you something to think about, and our listeners, I think, will be able to profoundly see this. You got to keep in mind that the iPhone wasn't introduced until 2007. So when you when you look at it like that, you think, okay, wow, that's incredible because the iPhone sort of revolutionized, um, in fact, putting this news tool in everybody's hand. Everyone everyone became a news reporter. Every social media you know, knew how to you know stick you <laughs> with their social media and get you to be sort of addicted to it, and then they could then do what they do to increase engagement, which is to drive wedges. So in in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina hit, you had the bipartisan, you had the fights like you always had fights, right. always had fights like this. I remember the, in the conversation I had with Haley Barber, he talked about when he was working with Governor, excuse me, President Reagan, and he, and and he had the opportunity to be present when Tip O'Neill, a Democrat, and Reagan, this wonderful conservative, came together and and had a drink together and talked. And Haley got to see them do this. Well, you know, th- that's that describes the way it was, really. To be honest with you, even in the midst of the the situation surrounding Hurricane Katrina, I mean, the political battles were unbelievable. But they could still go after work. <laughs> And enjoy being together and then building relationships and all that. And when we get on the other side, I'll I'll set the next layer on it and have a point that I want to make. And I want to get your reaction to it. But we're visiting with Clay Williams, who's the executive director for the uh, Guffport Biloxi International Airport Authority. We'll see you after this break. for free to the Coast View Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Clay Williams, executive director for the Biloxi, excuse me, Gulfport Biloxi International Airport Authority, just a good friend. And we work closely together after Hurricane Katrina. We're really talking about 
you know, the uh, sort of the political environment and perceptions of Mississippi and some of the special things that happened happened after Hurricane Katrina. But the point that I was making, though, is uh, if you think about, okay, Katrina happens in 2005, smartphones invented in 2007. So we don't have that wedge driver between us, you know, during the aftermath of uh, Hurricane Katrina. And while the political debates raged, we still had a spirit of bipartisanship. There was a there was a sense of you can call it camaraderie or whatever you want to call it, but there was there was there was you know healthy and respectful debate. I mean that's that's the thing that's missing too often in the political scene today. But you know one one of the things I wrote in the forward to Haley's book, America's Great Storm, is that what we witnessed in terms of local, state, and federal government leaders coming together in ways we had never seen before under Haley Barber's leadership with Thad and Trent and these key roles. Uh, Haley talked about a, a moment when he had a conversation with Barney Frank and, you know, who, who was, a, you know, obviously very liberal. And uh, and Barney wanted to do what he could to help Mississippi. And what what Haley was able to do is build on all those relationships that he had. You know, he was criticized for being a lobbyist when he got elected to the governor of Mississippi. But in in the moment after Katrina and all this time, then the book actually details this greatly because I did, at the time I didn't understand it. But as we were you know sort of building the elements of this book, it came to my attention how much time Haley actually spent in Washington D.C. in the aftermath of the storm. You Using, you know, reconnecting with all these important relationships with people like Senator Barney Frank and others like him. And we were able to get this incredible bipartisan support. And the other thing that's important, actually, is that you may, we may remember, and I won't say who because I'm not trying to create a difficult time for this person, but uh, New Orleans or Louisiana had just asked for $250 billion and it created this gigantic chilling effect in. In Congress, and what Haley did through the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewals, he built a plan on exactly what was going to be needed, what was the infrastructure going to be needed. So when he went and asked for the money that he needed, people trusted him, and they and then they applied to that. And in fact, Haley might have been the best thing that happened to Louisiana because what it did then is it sort of sort of sort of reestablished the conversations about how those in the entire Katrina multi-state Katrina zone might be treated as far as the federal government was concerned, and we were able to do it. I don't think we could do it today. I, I worry about the aftermath of a major storm like Katrina today in this polarizing world that we're we're in what do you you think we could well you've got to have strategic priorities developed by your leaders we had that at the time so you you would need priorities and you would need a strategy to go about trying to trying to recover and people would have to work together as you say ricky i mean relationships probably aren't quite what they once were in in, in that political environment so yeah, it would be more of a challenge. But again, other instances around the country where there have been wildfires and tornadoes and, and, and earthquakes and, and hurricanes, you do see people, again, pulling together. It's What's unfortunate is it takes something like that to, to, to bring about the unity. And uh, but but I, yes, I, I think um, I think the goodwill uh, humanitarian spirit is there. I think you've got groups that are dedicated to that, um, church groups, not-for-profits and others, that that, that builds the uh, consensus to, to bring about the recovery. 
Hey, listen, you said that about these groups didn't just come, you know, in, in the immediate aftermath. I remember years, literally years after Hurricane Katrina, the North American Baptist Men's Organization was still in coastal Mississippi building homes. That's incredible to think yeah, about that, isn't it? I think it? they had a set up on Path Road there, Ricky, and they never took it down. I mean, you just had <laughs> different individuals that would continue to come visit to help rebuild and then some of those that had been before, they kept coming back. So yeah, it's it incre- I said the North America, but I, I meant the North Carolina. North yeah. Carolina Baptist yeah. Men's Organization. Gosh, that's incredible. So much inspiration. All we have to do is open our eyes and see it. And uh, and I think when people do see what is in the heart and soul of Mississippians, they are impressed. And they come back again and again. That is for sure. Okay, let's shift gears for a second. Um, if you were riding with someone in the elevator, you had a couple floors to let them know how things were going. What's your elevator speech these days about the airport? I always enjoy talking about the airport, doing doing well here at Gulfport Biloxi International. Couldn't do it without the support of our community. Again, kind of going back to to uh, unity and support that we give one another. We're thankful for your for your listeners in South Mississippi that are flying from the airport. So through February, uh, we're up 14% year to date. If you go back to 2022 and compare this to 2021, up 8%. So we've seen a nice trajectory here in terms of our passenger traffic. Got some exciting uh, routes that are coming back online here at Gulfport Biloxi, Minneapolis, St. Paul. We actually have that flight starting uh, April the 13th. It'll run uh, this summer and into the fall through through about mid-November. Excited to have that. That's a good inbound route for us here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Orlando Sanford is flown by Allegiant Air. They fly it on a seasonal basis. Allegiant's uh, ultra-low-cost carrier providing um, low-cost fares for people to get in and out of this market. They begin that route again in the middle of May flying through mid-August. So excited to have Allegiant back in the market. So those are good good options for us here um, from a flight standpoint. Have a number of projects too, Ricky, that are underway here at the airport. Always want to make sure that we're putting forth a great first impression for visitors to coastal Mississippi. Oftentimes the airport is the first thing that they see when they arrive. And so we, we have a great team here that works diligently to improve and enhance the facilities. At present, we are uh, partnering with a company called Faber, who is expanding and renovating all of our restaurant space here at the airport. So we're going to have some new concepts here for, for travelers to enjoy. We're going to have a new fast food offering. Uh, it's actually just opened in the last week and a half. It transitioned from a Arby's fast food offering to a Sonic. We're going to have a sit-down restaurant that's got a local flavor that'll be announced here in the next couple of weeks. We've got a coffee shop, again, that's selling local products to those that are coming in and out. All this is going to be new revamped space with with new menu offerings. And again, want to make sure that it's something that's indicative of this area and not just anywhere USA. So people know that uh, they're they're in coastal Mississippi and can kind of see a lot of the... the, um, amenities and, and and actually delicacies, I guess, that we have to offer. Clay, you and I have talked about this before, and I think it's important to sort of refocus on it again. The, the fact that, you know, we've we've been able to keep some of those, those um, um, you know, airlines here and, and serving this region is important because when you think about coming out of the pandemic, you know, a lot of flights changed and 
there's been uh, there's been sort of a reengineering in some respects, especially in some communities where you know they're not getting nearly the service they used to get, and then the price of fuel and all these things. I mean, putting big pressure on the on the airlines. We've actually performed well relative to other communities, like sized communities that have airports like ours, haven't we? We we have. We've been fortunate. Uh, two two drivers in our local economy have uh, really supported this this airport historically, and in particular since um, the pandemic. The defense sector with Keesler Air Force Base and the Naval Construction Battalion, Ingalls Shipbuilding, and the other associated uh, defense contractors that we have along the coast, that's a significant driver of traffic here at Gulfport Biloxi. The gaming industry, which we've talked about before, they are uh, tremendous contributors to the traffic flow in and out of the airport. And so those two sectors are, of our economy have really helped uh, us as a market in sustaining, maintaining the service that we have. It's a challenge, though. Air- airlines have returned to profitability since the pandemic, but but they're faced with constant challenges, fuel costs, labor costs. There's an ongoing pilot shortage in the country, and it takes time to train, retrain pilots for that industry. So it doesn't happen overnight. You see Um, I I mentioned labor costs going up, technology advancements. Some airlines are trying to modernize uh, their technological systems and reservation systems. So so there are challenges there. They have uh, slightly returned to profitability. But what we're seeing is a trend, and this is no different at Gulfport Biloxi than what other markets are seeing. There is a move to um, dual-class mainline airplanes. So the the 50 seat regional jet is going away. And so we've seen that and many of them are still parked since the pandemic. And so markets of smaller size have got to be able to support a 76 seat uh, regional jet at a minimum. So that's that's the you've got some 50 seaters remaining here at Gulfport Biloxi with one of our carriers, but really the transition has been to the larger 76-seater. So so we have to maintain, sustain, and support that. So it's important uh, that people recognize uh, the convenient product that we have and utilize it when they're making either their business or leisure travel plans. When we come back with uh, Clay Williams, the executive director for the Gulfport Biloxi Regional Airport Authority, we'll continue this conversation about how things are going at the airport. We'll see you after this. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I'm my friend Clay Williams, the executive director for the Gulfport Biloxi International Airport Authority, and we're just talking about the latest at the airport. You know, one of the uh, one of the I, I got a great lesson in tourism after Hurricane Katrina because I had the opportunity to lead the the tourism committee for the governor's commission, and again, I learned a lot. Um, one of the things that we came to really appreciate was that the framing for a tier one destination resort, which had four key elements in it. First, you had to have a viable airport. You had to have convention space. You had to have hotel rooms. And then you had to have amenities. 
that that framing, while we may not necessarily become a tier one destination resort, maybe we will in time become that actually, but while we may not become that, the framing of that actually is really important to us in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina because it helps us realize that we got to have focus on all these things simultaneously. We've got to be able to have these four key elements to be successful. It's one of the reasons why you know you guys have been involved in a capital project uh, big time before Katrina, and then after Katrina, you continued that to move that forward. Same thing with the convention center at the Coast Coliseum, and of course the hotels and helping the casinos rebuild. I mean, this the list goes on and on. But these are all extremely important elements. So, if you think of the you think of the airport as being one of those four key elements, you realize that the airport, whether it be gaming and hospitality, or military, or people just using it to go see family members, or on vacation or business travel, that one of the key elements to successful economic development, you know, strategy for this for this region is that we have to have a healthy airport. We have to have a, a thriving airport that is able to fill those regional jets. It's able to do all the things that you were talking about just a few minutes ago. But man, this is I'm by saying it the way I just said it, this is your lifeblood, isn't it? It's it's critical for the local economy. Uh, you, you have to have uh, transportation access in and out of your region. It, you've got to have it on not only on the uh, road front with a, a strong interstate highway system, which we have. We're very fortunate here at, at Gulfport and uh, Bluxy in the Mississippi Gulf Coast to have that. You've also got a, a nice beach boulevard. Which is a which is a tourism draw in and of itself, but but an airport is is critical. People have to be able to not only go and visit family and friends and be able to take vacations from your market. That is a quality of life amenity. People want to live in a place where it's easy to travel, so they can get out and enjoy experiences through vacations and and seeing again loved ones. It's also important. So for for businesses like. Engel Shipbuilding and Chevron and Mississippi Power and Hancock Whitney and others that have such a large presence in our community, they've got to be able to get people in and out to conduct business. It is the lifeblood of, of many in the uh, casino industry. You've got some that dedicate uh, significant significant resources to charter programs, bringing visitors in and out. We've, we've talked before, Beauravage alone flies individuals from 90 cities into this market. And so that's that's incredible. And these are people that not only come on the charters, but they come back once they've been here because they enjoy it. They like the beaches and the seafood and the gaming opportunities and the golf amenities that we have. Harris Gulf Coast has actually got a charter program now that they're operating where they're doing about 15 to 20 flights a month. A number of other casinos IP, Island View, others are participating in some of the low-cost offerings through Allegiant and, and Sun Country and others. And so it, it, it's key to us. And um, again, community support is important. And so our role as, as an entity, not just the airport authority, but all the various partners that we have from the airlines to the rental cars to TSA and others is to make it a great experience. You want it to be something that's convenient, you want it to be safe. You want it to be something that people say, you know, I, I like that. Even, even if there's a slight cost disparity between us and the neighboring airport in another state, you know, it's still the experience, the convenience makes up for it. And again, it all airfare fluctuates on a daily and hourly basis. So it all depends on when you book as to what your, your fares are going to be. But, but again, our job is to create 
that experience with new restaurants, with improved entrance and exit ways here at the airport, with a nice retail concession offering. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the airport and the work that the team does. We have a great board that's very supportive of our, of our efforts here. And we, we'll stack ourselves up against any other airport of similar size. We really will, because I think it's, uh, it's, it's a good product. And then, again, fortunate to have great people that are working to make it so. Well, what you you know in talking about this, you 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 help people understand that your revenue flows are coming from different places. That you have a very good diversified revenue stream, and and it cannot be overstated how important the casinos are sure. to your overall revenue stream, and why you know even through thick and thin, the, the the casinos have helped keep you whole. You know, one of the we knew that when when the casinos came here, that they were going to be extremely innovative. You know, to think about, I had a wonderful conversation with Jonathan Jones, that as you well know, who leads the 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 Harris Gulf effort uh, about their evolving charter service and how innovative they've been. I've had numerous conversations with the leaders at Boer Vodge. I mean, think over 90 cities. That's just incredible. But you, but you combine to that their marketing that they're doing in those cities, both through their database marketing and through just whatever other marketing that they're doing, what they're doing to introduce tons of people, sure. tons of people to coastal Mississippi Woo, man, that's big. And and the delivery mechanism for all of that success is the airport. So you're you're at Epicenter. Hey, listen, we're out of time, Clay, but it's been a pleasure to, to visit with you, my friend. Always great to visit. Nice to reminisce about our time working together after Hurricane Katrina, something I hope uh, we don't have to do again. But again, you know, it was a pleasure working with you and other leaders across the coast uh, on that effort. And I, I learned a lot from, from each of you through that process. Yeah, it was, a, it was a pleasure to work with you too. And also reminisce some important, actually, memories that hopefully people, you know, will internalize. It's been a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.